Do you know how animals eat? Have you guys watched animals eat? How many of you have a dog? Any dogs? How does your dog eat? Is he crazy, like very polite? No? Yeah. Really? Do they try to bite you and you're like trying to pet them and they're eating their food? Oh. Yeah, your dogs don't like to share? My dog likes to grab his food. He'll get like a big mouth of grain and then he walks across the whole house and drops one grain at a time all the way across the house. Like this whole trail of mess that you get to step on in the morning when you wake up. It's so much fun. Animals are goofy when they eat. They do some crazy things. And how, how do you guys eat? Like any weird eating habits in the room that we should know about? Any weird eaters? Huh? <laughs> We're not even going to say. You're a fast eater? Okay. All right. I know some people in the room that can out-eat like any large adult male, and they're probably, they're kind of, all right, I'm talking about Rachel. All right, I'm just talking about Rachel right now. Rachel can eat. Rachel, where are you? Is she, oh, she's not here. She'll be here later. But listen, Rachel can eat. If she's your life group leader, don't ever challenge her to an eating contest because she looks small, but she can put some food away. People have weird eating habits. Have you ever heard this? Like when I was little, my mom would always try to get me to eat my vegetables. Has your mom ever used the whole like, if you eat your carrots, you'll get x-ray vision just like Superman. Have you ever got that? No, you guys have deprived childhood, right? So listen, my mom used to tell me that, and I would eat so many carrots, and now I wear glasses, and I definitely can't see like Superman, so she lied. But like your parents probably come up with these weird things they tell you, right, to get you to eat certain things. But I even like today, when I see my carrots, I'm like, hmm, I wonder if it's going to like improve my vision, you know, like I'm going to have x-ray vision like Superman. And we hear this phrase, you are what you eat. Have you ever heard that? Like, do we agree? I don't know. Do we agree with that? Maybe, I guess, in a way, right? It's true. It's kind of true. How many of you would be a big Oreo tonight, like, if, if that was true? Or any pizza people in the room? Any pizzas walk? Oh, there's you guys, a lot of you had pizza today. I'd be a taco. I had some tacos, kind of, or burritos or something. I don't know what it was. Some sort of Mexican. It's all the same, right? Like, it's all the same food. It's like meat and tortillas. So delicious. But listen, I'm not sure, as we're walking through our series with James, we're in James. We're in chapter two tonight. And this series is called Asking for a Friend. James is telling us about things in the Christian life. Like those of us who believe in Jesus and we're following him. James is like, I want to answer some practical questions for you about how to live like Jesus. Maybe even some questions that we're afraid to ask because we're like, oh, we go to church, we should know this, you know? So James is going to just kind of lay it out here for us. And be like, if you want to live for Jesus, here's some things that you need to know. Here's how you live. And tonight, as we're walking through this series, we're going to talk about that question. Are, we, are, are you what you eat? Is that really true? I think what James is going to tell us tonight is actually backwards from that. I'll give you a spoiler alert tonight. It's actually more like what you produce for other people to eat identifies who you are. The fruit that comes out of you as a person, who you become and your deeds and actions, that kind of determines the person that you are on the inside because that's what comes out of you. And so let's check out what James has to say about this tonight. We're in James 2, starting in verse 14. Let's look at this. He says this, what good is it, my brethren, brothers, brethren, brethren, if someone says he has faith, right, says he has faith, don't miss that, but does not have works, can that faith save him? So here's the question for tonight. Here's the thing James wants us to be able to walk through and be able to answer. Can you have faith without works? 
Is it possible for you to have a saving faith, this faith that's big and powerful, the fullness of like the power of God in you, and not have works that demonstrate that it's inside of you? Not have anything come out, any fruit showing that, hey, this actually happened to me, like this transformed me and changed me. So James wants to answer that question. Can you really have saving faith without having works? And he's going to make us really think tonight, right? The good Baptists in the room, those of you guys who have gone to like Baptist church for a long time, we're immediately going to be like, whoa, 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 it's just faith. Like, like we're going to have some, some issues with the question, but we need to hear James out real quick before we jump to conclusions. So then he says this, listen to the next part. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them things needed, Wait a minute. Hey, you're hungry? I hope, you know, I hope you're good with that. Like, have a good day. Be full. Peace. Have a good one, right? This person comes up shivering, and they're freezing, and they barely have, like, clothes or clothes are tattered, and they're like, we don't know this in Florida, right? But let's say we're up north, and you're like, oh, you look real cold. Yeah, I'm freezing to death right now. Oh, well, feel warm. Have a good one. And you just walk off. And they're back. You're going, like, like, like freezing. But you did nothing. I mean, you did something. You said, hey, hope you have a good day. But your words didn't match up with your actions. Like, you didn't stop and go, hold on a second. I get a jacket. Let me put this on you. Wear this. Hopefully, it'll keep you a little bit warmer. You didn't say, hey, you're hungry? Come on, let's go to Chick-fil-A real quick. We'll get some Jesus chicken, and you're going to feel way better. Like, you didn't do any of those things. You just said, hey, hope you have a good day. He's out. And then you let them walk off. James is posing that, like, that's this question. He's like, how did you do anything good for that person? Like, you just let him leave. He says, the end of that phrase is, what good is that? What good is it to talk like you care, but not do anything about it like you actually do care? Has anyone ever done that to you? Like, they talk big, maybe a friend that's like, man, I'm for you. I got your back, whatever you need, and the moment you need them, or you need something, it's like cricket, cricket, cricket. Like, where'd they go? Where are you? You said you'd be here for me, and now there's nobody here. That's kind of what James is talking about tonight. That empty talk where, like, I sound real Jesus-y. But then when it comes down to it, my actions aren't meeting up with my words. Then I'm claiming there's this faith in my heart, man. I go to youth group. We start fires, dude. There's a fire in my heart. I'm passionate about Jesus. I love God's word. I love to worship. I love to raise my hands. I like to jump up and down and clap and the whole deal. But you know what? When it comes to like actually living that out, putting my arm around someone who's hurting, giving up maybe my lunch for a hungry person, a kid at school that like never has lunch money and never has lunch and I see it and every day I just eat my lunch and just let them go hungry. And what good is it to come jump around? What good is it to wear a We Start Fire t-shirt? What good is it to say that you read your Bible all the time if you're never living it out? If you're never acting on the things that you're learning that Jesus would do? If you're never being like Jesus? That's what James wants us to talk about tonight. And it's a little uncomfortable, right? Do you feel it? It's just like a little bit of awkwardness, even in the question, because we might have to face something in us. We're like, wait, maybe that's hitting too close to home right now. Rob, I don't want to talk about that. But let's, let's do this together. Let's hear what James wants to say here and what he has to say to us. So he says next, so also, ready for this? Faith by itself, 
if it doesn't have works, is dead. Like, you pulled out the D word, like, dead, like, straight up dead. Not like, oh, you got a little bit of faith. It's a little bit weak right now. No, he's like, your faith is gonzo. It's dead. It's gone completely. You don't have faith if you don't have works. I have to, like, stop for a minute and just process that because it's a huge statement. It means a lot to me because I got to look at my life and go, am I matching my faith with my work? with my action, not in a way where I'm trying to earn something by what I'm doing, in a way where my actions are flowing out of my faith. Because I have faith, I'm going to live it. Because I have faith, it causes me to go and to do and to seek, helping other people, loving Jesus, serving my church, things that flow out of what Jesus is doing inside of me. And so what James says here, so also faith by itself, if it's just words, if it's just this faith we claim to have, but hey, good luck with being warm and and hungry over there. Like, if it's empty, then your faith isn't really there. It might just be words that you're claiming. It might just be a youth group or church that you attend. It might just be worship music you like to jump around to. But if you're not living it out, it's pointless. It's literally dead. You know, dead things are pretty useless. Dead things don't do a whole lot. You don't trust me? Then go try to ride a dead horse. You know, like, that's gross, first of all. Don't, don't actually do it. It's gross. But, like, it ain't going to take you very far. You know, it's going to sit there like a goofball. Like, 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 it doesn't work, right? Dead things don't do. They don't get up. They don't serve a purpose, really. And so what he's trying to tell us is that's your faith. If there's no works happening. It's just laying there lame and dead and can't actually have any power behind it. It can't do things, accomplish things that it's meant to do. You see, your faith has a purpose. There's a reason why God wants you to have it. It's not just in like anything either. It's not like we put faith just in like myself or my heart or my skills or whatever you pick. You can't just pick. He wants you to have faith in the power source of all things, the one thing that can give you power and strength in Jesus. You put your faith anywhere else, it ain't going to work. Other things are powerless to really give you this. But Jesus can. And so if you're placing your faith in him, there's a purpose for it. Like there's a reason God wants you to do that. And that reason can be fulfilled when it's a real faith that changes you, that transforms you, that causes you to go live it out. Not just sit back and talk about it. And that's what James wants us to see tonight he says this next thing he says but someone right because there's always that guy or that girl that's like wait a minute you know so he's like but someone will say you have faith that's cool right i have works let's just agree to disagree we'll both be right you know it's kind of like what we hear so much today like your church is cool and it's good for you but don't try to force that on me you know your religion that's awesome i'm glad you're a person of faith Keep your faith. I have mine. It's totally different. It'll work out for both of us in the end. Right? We hear that, and we go with it because it's like, hey, it keeps people from arguing and fighting, and we get along. We tolerate each other. But in the end, only one person can be right. In the end, only one way works, and it's through Jesus. And so our faith needs to be somewhere. You can't walk up and say, you've got your faith. i got my work. 
I'll just come over here, right? And I'll try to work really hard and God's gonna see me. And it's be like, man, Rob is just on fire. He's like serving old ladies, helping them across the street, carrying their, their groceries and all this awesome stuff. Rob just is like doing such good works. He's such a good guy. I'm gonna let him in heaven. I'm gonna do that because he's awesome. Who wouldn't want him there, right? That's how it works, no? That's actually exactly opposite of what God says. Your works by themselves will never earn your way to heaven. Your works can't be something that you place, like your, your trust in going to heaven and salvation and God in. They won't do it. And at the same time, over here, we, this dude is like, well, you know what? I got my faith, so I'm good. You keep your works. But I got faith. Like, I go to church. I read my Bible. I chill in my house. I drive my nice comfy car. I do my thing. I have faith in Jesus. But don't ask me to leave my bubble. Because leaving my bubble means I got to go be uncomfortable. I got to go serve at the house of hope. And it's hot. It's Florida. It's like 90 degrees at 3 o'clock in the morning. Like, you want me to go carry boxes for people? And like, no, you know, that's not for me. But I got my faith. You want me to go talk to these people over here who are hurting? But it's going to be awkward. You seriously are asking me to go have this weird, awkward conversation? Let me just sit here in my bubble. Because I have faith and that's good enough. But I never actually act on the faith that I have. So what good is it? Just stuck in the bubble. It's pointless. It's dead, as James would say, because it's not accomplishing anything. And so both people are wrong. You're saying the person who says, oh, I got my works, is never going to give them the faith they need for salvation. And the person who says they have faith, but it doesn't do anything to change their life, then is it really faith at all? And he says there's actually this awesome combination that has to happen between works and faith. But neither one can really stand on its own and be genuine. You know, have you ever tried to make a campfire? Any campers in the room? People like camping? All right, any campfire makers? Let's say you would consider yourself a pro at making a fire. You can make a fire in under five minutes by yourself. Oh, okay. Of those who have your hands up, all right, you could make a fire with just matches, wood, and if you know what I'm talking about, kindling wood. Oh, you actually know it's okay. Testing you. All right, out of you, could you just make it like Bear Grylls, who just takes like moss and a rock and make fire? Oh, that's where we lost almost everybody. Right. Me either. I'd like to be able to do that, but I can't. Right? It's hard. Why is it so hard to make fire? Right? So we get these firemen that come to church because they try to teach us how to keep our buildings from burning down when you turkeys try to, like, light fires in firehouse. So we have to take, like, fire training sometimes. It's cool because we get to, like, shoot this fake fire extinguisher and all this cool stuff. But anyway, they taught us something, right? I was listening this one time. He said, to make fire, you have to have three things. I hope I say this right. <laughs> Don't correct me if I'm wrong. So you have to have three things. You have to have heat. What else do you think you have to have? Oxygen. And one other thing, not water. Who said water? <laughs> fuel, like wood or something that can burn, right? So some sort of fuel. Yes, that could be. So you need those three things. Now, here's the deal. Here's how they teach us to put the fire out. You take away one of those things, and that's how firemen think. They're like, all right, so there's these three things, and this type of fire, apparently there's different types of fires. That's just one type. But in that type, if you take away any of those three things, the fire dies, right? Well, here's the deal. They need all three of them to exist. Without all three, they can't be a fire. They can't come together and produce power. And so it's the same way with works 
and our faith that they have to kind of coexist in a way that says this is legitimate. Like I can create power in your life because you're not just believing me, but you're living in obedience to me. God's like, you believe me and trust me enough to do what I say. And if you just try to say, hey, God, look at me, I'm doing great things. It doesn't work. He's like, you're not good enough. But if you just try to say, I believe in you, but I'm not going to obey you, he's like, do you really believe in me? And so take either one away, and you can't have the fire that is the power of God. You need that, both of them together in this relationship, in order to see that power in your life. And so what James wants you to know is, kind of like making a campfire. You need both. You need both of those things equally coming together. So he says this next thing. He goes, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. He's talking to that same person he just mentioned, right? He's like, you got faith, I got works, let's just be chill with each other. He's like, no, 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 listen. (laughs) No, it doesn't work that way. Show me your faith apart from your works, if you can do that. And I challenge you right now, don't say it out loud, but just in your head, think about how could you prove that you trust or believe something at the core of who you are without doing something to prove it? Could you prove it in a way with no action? And so James is saying like, no, it's impossible. Works show that you actually believe that thing. If I say I love opera, which I, I don't, I don't. But if I did, I was so like, pumped about opera music, you know, opera music, I'm gonna go watch The Marriage of Figaro. I'm like, yeah, this is great. And, but like I never once go, and I couldn't tell you one thing about any opera that ever existed. Would you believe me that I love opera? That's crazy, right? I gotta prove it. If I actually love opera, I'm probably like at all of the operas. I'm probably singing it all the time. You're probably like, shut up, it sounds terrible. You know, like when it's one of those because I love it. And because I'm actually doing the thing that I say exists inside of me. So when we say I love Jesus, we never live for Jesus. People are going to look at you and be like, do you actually love him? Like, is this a thing that's, that's real in your heart or are you just running your mouth? And James is like, hey, show me your faith apart from your works. Like, it's almost a joke that he's making. Like, you're not going to be able to do it. Try to prove that you actually believe in God and trust Jesus without using work to do it. And then he says, let me flip it on you. And he says, I will show you my faith by my works. You're going to see how much I love Jesus when you start to watch my life and watch the fruit that comes out of me walking with Jesus. I'm going to start to look like him, and you're going to notice it. Because the more time I spend with him, the more I'm going to act like him, I'm going to talk like him, I'm going to love like him, and you're going to see it in me. You're like, dude, you're changing, you're transforming, because that's what real transforms you, right? And as you're transformed, you start to act different and live different in those works. It's just obedience. It's not trying to earn salvation. You're just obeying the one you say you love, the one you say is your king. How horrible would we be? We're like, yeah, man, I'm totally loyal to you as my king. And then you just go off and do your own thing and never take one command they give you. You'd be a terrible follower, right? Are they really your king if you never take their commands? That's what James is saying works. It causes you to go, I'll obey you. God, like, I really believe you know what's best for me. I really believe you know what you're talking about. I really believe you love us. 
And because I really believe it, I'm going to obey you when you tell me to do things. When I read your Bible and it says, hey, I should live like this, I want to try to live like that, not because I'm trying to impress you, but because I believe you, trust you. And when you speak, I'm like, all right, God, yes, let's go, let's go do that. And then he says this next. He says, you believe that God is one. That's cool. He's talking to these people that believe. And he's like, you believe that he's one God. You're like, you know the tradition. He says, you do well. That's great. You know your Bible. He says, even the demons believe and shudder. Here's a statement. You might know everything there is to know about God and the Bible up here. And he's like, but so do the demons. So does Satan himself. He knows that God's real. He's seen him. He's battled him. These angels have been in like heavenly wars against demons and like they've seen the enemy and they've watched this war take place. They'll tell you and they will shudder, he says, in fear. You speak the name of Jesus to a demon and it's going to shudder in fear because it believes he's real. But James is like, that's not enough just to believe it. It needs to transform you. It needs to change you or you're no better than them. This faith should get you to obey and to live out what Jesus has actually said. And so he says this next. He says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? He's like giving a little challenge. He's like kind of stepping up to us a little bit right here. Like, do I need to show you, you dummy? That's literally what he's saying. Like, you actually need me to prove this more? I will. I'm going to show you that faith without works is just useless. It's just, it's idle talk. It's that person in class that's always talking about themselves but never actually, like, doing anything about it. You're just running your mouth. And here he goes. Here's an example he's going to give us to do that. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? He goes to Abraham, like the father of the faith. And these people he's talking to would have recognized this. They know the Bible, right? They know God's word. And so when he brings up Abraham, their, their ears perk up. And they're like, wait, what? talking about the Old Testament. You're talking about Abraham now. We're listening. You've got our attention. And then he brings up what Abraham did. Abraham was a man who was known for his faith. God chose him to be the father of the people of Israel. The dude believed God. God showed up so many times right to Abraham that he literally got to see these awesome things. He's like, undoubtedly, I'm following you. And because of that, the test happened. And God's like, really? How much do you trust me? To the point where he's like, hey, I want you to take your son. I want him to bring him up to that mountain. Your only son. Only son you've waited so long for. And I want you to put him on an altar and sacrifice him to me. Uh, we're like, what? <laughs> you sacrifice your kid? It's wrong. And God didn't actually want him to do it. And God was going to stop him and does in the future. But at this point, God was just testing Abraham to say, hey, do you actually have faith in me? Would you give up the thing you love the most, Abraham? Would you give up the thing you've been praying for and praying for and praying for and begging me for, and I finally gave it to you, and now I'm asking you to give it back? Do you love that thing more than you love me? And so it's this kind of test, and I would say, listen, James is giving us a real practical test right now. What about you? What's the thing you love the most? What's that thing maybe you've prayed for and prayed for and prayed for and God's finally given it to you? 
would you even take that thing and set it before God and say, I'll give it back? You could take this. God, there's nothing in my life that I want more. There's nothing in my life I'm going to hold on more tightly to than Jesus. I want you more than anything else. And the Lord wants to know that. He wants you to know that in your own heart. He was showing Abraham that Abraham was willing to say, God, you're number one. Even my son, you can have my son. I trust you and I love you that much. You are first priority in my life. Now listen, I know that sounds extreme. It is. It absolutely is. The Christian faith is extreme. Following Jesus is extreme. And God will probably never come to you and be like, hey, I want you to like do this extreme thing. But every moment, God's like, hey, listen, I want to have your whole heart. I want to be the thing in your heart that you want the most, no matter what those things are that are lingering around in there. Like, I want to be the one that you trust the most. Do you? Do you trust them? Enough to say, God, I trust you with all of it. Even where I go to college or this relationship that I want to be in, I want this person to notice me and like me and like, I trust you with it, God. Or, or this class that you're taking or this job you're trying to get or all of these things. Would you put them before him and say it's yours? You can have it. James says this next. He says, you see that faith was active along with his works. Abraham didn't just talk about having faith. Abraham lived it out in obedience. His faith caused him to say, God, whatever you tell me, I'm going to obey. Faith was completed by his works. Like, there was no other way. It would have just been empty talk until he lived it out and obeyed. Now, listen, Jesus gives us a really good first step of obedience. And a lot of us just overlook it. A lot of us, maybe we're even too scared at first to do it. Like, we accept Jesus and we're like pumped that we know Jesus now and we're going to heaven. And Jesus says immediately, as you believe in me, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you a command right away. So as you meet me and accept me in your heart, this is what I want you to do next. And it's like your first step of saying, yes, Jesus, like I do believe because you're obeying him. You take your faith and you're stepping out of that faith with works by saying, I'll obey now, right? It's not faith over there, works over here. It's both. I believe you, so here's my first step. And that first step is baptism. Jesus says, if you believe in me, I want you to be baptized, right? I want you to follow this this thing that's happening in your heart by an expression of faith to tell other people, this is what just happened to me. And some of us are like, well, baptism is cool for some people, but it's like not really like that big of a deal. It is a big deal. It is a big deal because it's, it's obedience to Jesus. He's called us to do it. It's kind of that first opportunity that you have to say, yes, Lord, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. And so we respond by obeying Jesus and by being baptized. Now, I'm like a super shy person. You might not think that, but I really am. And I'm like, I get really nervous, like around people and the whole deal. And you're like, no, it really happens. Baptism to me, when it was time for me to be baptized, dude, I got saved. My pastor was like, hey, listen, you need to be baptized. And I was like, like, I just got it nauseous like immediately like people are gonna see me this is so nerve-wracking I was totally nervous about it so I get it if that's you I get it if you're like I want to but I'm just so nervous to be in front of people I get that but here's here's the thing when I said yes and I did it God gave me the courage to do it 
You see, if God calls you to do it, then he's going to help you do it. And after doing it, I realized the importance wasn't like this tank of water. The importance was me just getting to say yes to Jesus kind of in the first time. His first opportunity to obey him. He's like, this is this awesome, gracious thing he gives you when you believe in him and he becomes your savior. Like, here you go. Here's your first step. I picture like this dad with like this little baby who's learning how to walk and he's graciously helping him. Baptism is this way for you to be like, all right, Lord, here I go. Here's my first step. And the rejoicing that happens around you is so incredible because it's like, yes, they took it. Like they took that first step. It's awesome. And they're living out their obedience. See, it's faith being lived out. How, do, how would I know this, right? Well, Acts 2.38 says, and Peter said to them, ready? Repent and be baptized. <laughs> Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to do this thing, right? Jesus tells us that we should go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This last weekend, we did ocean baptism, and we had a few of our students here that are here tonight that got baptized, right, that got to go out into the ocean and express that and take that step of faith. We're so proud of them. It's awesome. So hopefully some of you guys got to see that happen, and you were there. But it's happening, and there are students constantly doing this, and I'm so proud of you guys for taking that step. And I bet there's more. I bet there's more of you out here that God's calling you and you believe in Jesus and you're like, but I've never done the baptism thing. Maybe God's like, hey, your first step to obey, to make that faith, take that first step and works and say, I'll be baptized. Maybe you need to do that. I would love to talk to you after the service. Come find me and let's figure out and pray together how we can do that, all right? So James says next, he says this. The scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. He didn't just believe. It was counted to him as righteousness. Like he lived it out. And listen to what James says about it. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now that can be really tricky. If you just take that one phrase and you didn't read the rest of the Bible and you're like, you're justified by works and not by faith alone. And you only read that one phrase, right? You take it out of context. It would be like me coming up to you saying, hey, you can have my truck, that big blue one out there with awesome tires. You can have my truck for free. But you didn't hear me say the next part. Over my dead body. (laughs) Right? Like, wait a minute, Rob. You said I could have your truck for free. But it was taken out of context. You didn't hear the whole thing that I said to you. You just kind of cut my phrase off and heard what you wanted to hear. And we don't want to do that with scripture tonight. We want to hear the context of it. When James says this, you see a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. It's in the context of what he's saying here. There's more to it than that. And so he's describing something. It's like saying that there's this tree growing and there's oranges all over it. And you walk up to it and go, there's a sweet apple tree over there. Bro, what what are you thinking, dude? Like, that's obviously an orange tree because it's producing oranges. And that's your life. That's your life. What fruit are you producing? What kind of fruit is it? You know the trees that don't produce fruit, fruit trees that don't produce fruit? They're probably dead. Probably not even a lot. Because that's what fruit trees do, unless they live in my house and then they just never grow fruit. But anyway, that's a whole other story, right? Your life should produce fruit. Your life, you should start to look like Jesus if there's really 
that faith in your heart, and I hope you're seeing fruit in your life. John 15, 8 says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so, listen to what he says. This is John talking now. So prove to be my disciple. You prove to be a disciple of Jesus when there's fruit coming out of your heart. Not just when you say you believe, but when you act on it. When there's obedience that backs it up. Right? So what he's not saying here is that you have to go try to do a lot of works and earn Jesus' favor and be saved. That doesn't work. We already talked about that. But when you have real faith, it should transform you. There should be fruit coming out of you. Galatians 2.16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Right? So Paul tells us right there, that's not a thing. You can't be justified by just doing good stuff. But through faith in Jesus Christ. So it's this thing, again, that we see with the fire. It's this faith that starts in you that the Lord gives you this grace. And when you respond and you believe in him, you're saved. And that salvation, that genuine faith in you, changes Causes you to be somebody new. It literally transforms you. And that obedience that happens, that's just proof that the faith inside of you is genuine. Faith in Jesus is the only way to salvation. But that faith should be powerful. It should change you. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says this. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing, right? It's, it's the gift of God. It's free, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for this. Listen for this. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the order is so important. First, it's faith that God puts in your heart. That's what saves you. But as you have this faith, it's so genuine and real and powerful, it causes you to change and start to walk toward Jesus and look like him and say, wherever you go, I'm going. And you fall around like a little kid because you're like, wherever you go, I want to be there, Jesus. I just fell in love with you. I got to follow you around. I want to be like you. And it changes you. And that's the works. That's his works of righteousness that we're prepared for when he puts faith in our heart. He ends off the passage by saying this. He says, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers, sent them out by another way. So this big city with these big walls and the people of Israel trying to come in and take it over. And there's this woman who's known for a way of life that was sinful, that was out of God's will. And she's there and she's convinced by God to go and to help these people. Now, what she's doing is she's taking her own life in her own hands because she'd be considered a traitor to her city to help these Israelites, these people of God. And so she's literally risking her life. And most people would be like, oh, do you know what she does for a living? She probably is not the first candidate for being someone who actually would believe God. And immediately they judge her by what's on the outside. Instead of saying, hey, God put this crazy faith inside this woman's heart, and it changed her life. And she's different now, and she loves Jesus, and it's causing her to live for him. And so what she's doing is she's willing to sacrifice her own life for the faith that she has in God. And James is pointing this out about this woman Rahab. Like, that's what happened. Y'all, has that happened in you? 
Those of you guys who are here and you say that you believe in Jesus, have you seen that happen in you? Maybe you've said a prayer at some point at a summer camp or even at a, a youth group or a church, and maybe it was VBS, and you're like, hey, listen, I prayed this prayer and accepted Jesus, but then I looked at my heart and looked at my life. Nothing had changed. I'm, I'm still, like, literally the same. I don't care more about God. I don't desire Jesus more. I don't, like, there's nothing different. I would ask you to look at yourself and evaluate that. Now, I'm not trying to scare you out of a real, genuine faith, but I do want you to be warned that if you don't actually have faith and you're, it looks like just dead fruit, maybe it's because there's no faith there. Maybe God's calling you to have a real, genuine faith that's transformative, that changes your life, that's so powerful that you're like, there's no doubt that's when I met Jesus because at that point, my life just totally changed. I started walking a different direction. All of a sudden, I loved what Jesus loves. I just fell in love with his word. I fell in love with him. I did these crazy things in my heart I didn't understand, but that's definitely where I met Jesus because I changed. Fruit started coming out that proved that, like, I actually do believe this thing. I didn't just do it because my mom and dad would have been real proud of me for praying this prayer because my youth pastor preached some sermon made me feel really guilty, and so I raised my hand because I didn't want to let them down. Those are terrible reasons to follow Jesus. There's a much better reason. He's worth it. He's worth it. No matter what your pastor or your parents say, Jesus is worth it. And that's the faith I want you to have. That's the faith James wants you to have. One where you say, here I am. Whatever you call me to do, transform my life. I want to follow you. And you start to see that fruit. The last phrase of this passage says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. He just cautions us. Make sure you got both. Make sure your fruit is proving the faith that's inside your heart. Could you bow your head for just a second with me? In just a second, we're going to worship, and I want to give you guys kind of a chance during this first worship song just to talk to Jesus and just to have a moment with him. And here's what I'd love for you to ask him. Jesus, is my faith genuine? Do I see fruit in my life that proves like there's been a change in me? This isn't just the thing I did out of emotion and never really meant it. But is my faith something that's changing my life? proving that I actually believe in you. And would you be open to it if he says, I'm not, I'm not sure that's really what's happening in me. Would you just ask him to confirm that in your heart over the next few minutes?